from John 15, 11 again. It's my purpose for telling you these things, and we know if you've been around for the journey, if not, this is the, the chapter where Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, abide in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain, 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 abide, abide. That's, that's what he's talking about. These things, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, just this theme that you've had us in. Um, and Lord, we're thankful to be here in your house this morning, your sons and daughters uh, yeah, pursuing you, loving you. I, I pray that, Lord, um, whether we're uh, all believers in the house this morning, pre-believers, uh, seeking this morning that we open up our hearts and Holy Spirit, uh, that you would just touch lives, that we would hear you this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen. And amen. All right, thank you. So we've been sharing a little bit, if you've been following along, uh, last week we, we shared the story of my buddy Chris Bruce. And um, I don't have uh, time to, to go into big detail, but um, I know that many of you were blessed and have been blessed and touched uh, by his story and um, are continuing maybe to follow his story. Uh, you can follow along. If, uh, if, you're, if you're on social media, you can follow along their story at Monumental Worship or um, his profile, Chris Bruce. But if you, did you guys catch the after story kind of after what we shared? It actually, Chris published an update that happened, um, I think it was Saturday night before I preached the message last week. And he messaged me, he told me, he said, I've got an update, and, he's, and he, just because of who he is, he's like, no pressure, but you know, this is, it's kind of exciting, is kind of what he was saying, and I just, I ran out of time, I wasn't able to watch it before the service last week, but, um, so Chris, if you're not following the story, if you're just walking in for the first time, here's the Cliff Notes version. Chris is a good friend of, of mine, of, of the house, for many of us, he's come and led worship, him and his family, a Lori, um, big family, and they've, they were, they've been here even in the last couple of years leading us in worship. And they've taken off on this journey to lead worship at all the, uh, the state capitals of our nation. And so they had begun that journey. They started here in South Dakota and they'd begun that journey and uh, been in Colorado um, and they were out in Washington state getting ready to do that. They were taking a, a day off um, and uh, Chris was holding his youngest in his hands. They were, they were going to visit the, the tide beaches on the coast and um, Chris's foot fell out from underneath him while he was holding his youngest. Um, and he took a tumble, shattered his femur up here, dislocated his femur. They thought it was, his hip was broken at first, <laughs> and for many practical purposes, I mean, it is. They, they, they had to piece together his leg again in, in a six-hour surgery, and, you know, he's been recovering from that. And so I, I shared a clip last week because I just, I, of course, my ears are tuned to anything that talks about joy right now, but he was sharing his update, and he said, he, the, the, the two sentences, they don't seem to fit together when you just, if you're just an outside observer, he says, I'm, I'm in so much pain. I'm in like the pain never stops. And then he says, but I'm filled with so much joy. And I couldn't, I couldn't skip over that. I was like, yes, that's it. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's from a source that's not of ourselves. So anyways, he gives this update and he talks about when he came into the emergency room and many times when you come in as a trauma patient, they will give you um, a, a wristband, a tag, and that wrist tag, wristband can say anything on it. And when the nurse came in to check on him after, um, maybe it was the first time, um, and, and she, she, you know, they always ask your name and birth date, right? 
And, you know, he's, he was heavy on drugs at this time, a lot of pain medication. And he looks at his wristband, <laughs> and his wristband says, Victor. Victor. You remember the, uh, you know, the, what we had at the top of our uh, uh, screen as we left? His wristband says, Victor. And he says, so, man, I'm, I'm going by a new name now. My name is Victor. <laughs> My source is, isn't, you know, I mean, my circumstances don't shatter my whole world. Yes, it hurts, but I've got joy. And I'm a victor because of Jesus. And man, I, you know, some of you I know have seen the, the, the videos this week of him worshiping for the first time with the guitar. And the guitar that he has, and he's had for years, I mean, he used to play that thing with me um, when we were touring around as, as kids. And um, it's one of those big ones where, you know, you, you, it takes your whole arm to like kind of reach down and play the strings. It's an old beat up one. And then he's got his nice one that he uses when he, when he plays, but he's kind of gifted that to his son for this season because he's going to college and, and training him up uh, through worship ministry. But um, he, was, he can't really sit up and play it because the weight of the guitar on his femur is right there. And it, it hurts. It's painful. He can't stand up because... You can guess why. And so he, he has this heart and he wants to worship. And so they, they have this, this video of them worshiping with the, the, all the kids. Because if you, if you know the family, all the kids are, are in worship. And he's laying in the bed <laughs> with a guitar worshiping. And it's just, I think Sandra made the comment that God's presence is just all over this. And it is. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so... Okay, I want to open up this morning, um, week three, with a clip from ESPN. And so this video highlights Baylor University's uh, men's basketball team, who are the 2021 NCAA National Championships. Why? Why is Sean all of a sudden going to pull something up from the sports world? Because we all know he doesn't know what, like, what happens in sports. Um, but <laughs> why? So I, I Googled, I've, I've been kind of in this world of searching and, and looking at stories of joy and, and culture of joy. I Googled culture of joy. And this is the video that was the first on the search results. Um, come to find out as I'm reading more about this story, in almost every interview leading up to their victory in 2021, um, Coach Scott Drew is talking about how all year long we've just played with a culture of joy. Now, again, that phrase catches my ear. And so reading a bit more into it, this is a team that had a three-week COVID knockout that were knocked out like mid-season. Um, this is a team that's been through some incredible challenges. Um, this was a season that, was, that barely happened, honestly, but yet somehow they made it all the way through. So if we can get the, hit the lights, house lights and the stage lights, they were playing with a culture of joy. I want you to watch this. Way to stay with it. Here we go. What's Coach Drew like? What's he like as a person? He's one of the best human beings I've been around. He's always trying to get the best out of me as a person. He's very positive. He's a very spiritual person. Let's go. Welcome back, Jason. Coach Drew's energy level is very high. Jump stop! Pivot! Pivot! Here's one thing I got. Why are they talking smack to Gordon and Connor after shoot around? 
Are you kidding me? So much energy, so authentic. He's like yelling at you or telling you what to do. It just feels like positive. And then he just makes you want to do it. Anytime a coach holds you accountable, anytime a coach speaks truth to you, you can take it one of two ways. He's a hater, he don't, uh, he don't understand, or you can say he actually wants me to get better. Because at the end of the day, we all leave practice and we all win or we all lose. We leave a game and we win or we lose. The only way everybody feels good is after a win. That's it. Everybody understand that. So the question is, what stuff, because everybody wants to win, everybody loves that feeling, what stuff will I give up? How will I come out of my comfort zone? How will I sacrifice for winning? I think sometimes he gets a reputation of it being this salesman thing, but the truth is I don't think any of those things are true. I think it's who he is. The Baylor fans cheer in Indianapolis. A season of joy ends with a national championship. Culture of joy. It is uniquely Scott. We have a culture of joy, uh, Jesus, others, yourself. If you're playing for Jesus, others, yourself, first of all, you're playing for an audience of one. God loves us if we make the game-winning shot or misses the game-winning shot. Our kids, if they miss or make it, we still love them. And then others, we're obviously playing for uh, uh, our teammates. And when you're just consumed and bought in about the others, uh, you do things for other people that you won't do for yourself. Uh, and that's all the little things that add up to winning. And then obviously the last part is, is you play for yourself and you take care of the first two, the third takes care of itself. Yeah, it means everything to me. It's literally probably the top reason I came here was because I wanted to uh, grow spiritually. And this is the, probably the only place, in my opinion, in college sports that prides himself on the person outside of the court more than on the court. Because the environment at Baylor and you know the Baptist University, he can really wear that on his sleeve. And I think he just got to the point in his career where he said, I'm gonna be authentically me. Isn't that cool? I love it. Culture of joy. Um, so I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a culture of joy. And, and I want to join up with whatever a culture of joy looks like. And I've been sharing as we started this series. I, 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 um, I found out that Pastor Brent Parker over in Sioux Falls was launching a, a similar series the very same week. He, I, I put, we were posting it on our, our socials. And, and I think his comment was, dude, you know, I'm, I'm starting with just like on the same subject. And then I found out, and so was another pastor friend in Duluth and another one in California. And I kid you not, as I'm sharing just a little bit about um, our theme uh, on Tuesday night at Harp and Bowl, which is so good, by the way, um, man, uh, I was in tears by the end. But as, as I was sharing, there's, there's, a, there's a couple that joins us from another church, and they said, our pastor is doing a series on joy, too. And, and yesterday morning, I'm having coffee with Pastor John uh, Feister over at Renewal MB, Chuck E. Cheese Church. And, uh, and he tells me that he's doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit as we're sharing and as we're talking. And I'm telling you, Holy Spirit is doing something. And he's got a plan. And I don't know about you, but this journey is doing something really good on, in the inside of me. And um, I've been fired up. Um, and today we're talking about fighting for joy. And we have defined joy in this series like this. A little bit different than happiness. Happiness is an emotion that is based on circumstances and on outcomes. And happiness isn't bad, by the way. But happiness, you can be at the peak of happiness at 2.15 in the afternoon. 
And, you know, then you can be in the pit of sadness by 2.30 because happiness is based on circumstances and outcomes. And, uh, but we've been looking at this word for joy in the Greek and the original language. And what it's taught us is an awareness of God's grace in our lives. And so we're defining joy as gratitude that is rooted in grace, no matter the circumstance, no matter. He is a firm foundation. In other words, joy supersedes circumstance. And when you have it, it's permanent and permeating in your life in a way because it overrides what is happening around you. And we're going to use this time today to talk about some practical takeaways as to how you can fight for joy in your life. And we're going to get them all out of the book of Philippians um, uh, from our brother, the Apostle Paul. And so Philippians is called the book of joy. And I I had meant to grab my, my Jesus Bible before I came over, but I neglected that this morning. Um, I was digging around in in my Jesus Bible um, this week, uh, digging around in Philippians uh, for a little bit. And the title of every book, if you're familiar um, with the Jesus Bible, is it connects every, every book, every passage, every scripture, you know, to the person of Jesus. And it, and it kind of, it, it takes all of, it tells the story of Jesus through the scripture, which is what scripture does. It just kind of helps point it out for us. And so the title page for the book of Philippians says this, um, Jesus, our joy in suffering. And so we have a whole letter written to this church, and it's all about joy, um, like for instance, be, be cheerful with joyous or joyful celebration in every season of life. Let your joy overflow. That's Philippians 4, 4. These are the kind of things Paul is writing while he's in prison, while he's in prison for his faith. So in, in, in a circumstance that says no joy, he says, okay, uh, no, I've, I've got joy because my joy and my gratitude is rooted in immovable circumstances. I have a firm foundation, namely the grace of Jesus that I found at the cross of Jesus and the future grace that I have seated with Jesus that I am now and will forever be with him and the right hand of God and I am alive and I am saved and I am seated with him. And so he's, you know, about out of his seat. Those, those two things, they cannot be affected by any situation or any circumstance circumstance. And so therefore I can always have joy in any circumstance. And so last week we wrapped things up by sharing about uh, Chris and his recent journey. And we just, we were just talking about this. He says, you know, I've had this physical pain and, but in the midst of joy, he's, I mean, in the midst of it, he's saying, I'm just so full of joy. And seriously, um, I, I would encourage you, I, I don't say this a lot, but if, if you miss the last couple of weeks and joy is something that you're trying to figure out in your life, go back and listen. Go back and listen and, and dig into this. There have been so many good testimonies just from the last couple of weeks, um, one and two already. So anybody ready for round three today? <laughs> uh, that's right, we're going in. And so the big idea on the table today is that you have to fight for joy. And, um, and I don't even know... I, Sometimes, you know, when, when, when uh, the, I don't even know, I, I might even change that word maybe before we even get to the end of the series, but we have to, you, you have to, you have to uh, contend for it. And so, and we're, and we're going to talk about why that is, but the reality is um, the, the kind of permeating joy, joy that rises above and triumphs above all circumstances, it doesn't come naturally to a human being. <laughs> and it has to be produced by the work of the spirit. And um, so you've got to, you've got to be connected to the vine, right? That's what 
we've been talking about this whole time. And if you don't have it today, it's probably because maybe your joy has been stolen from you. And so we just want to talk about that today because we live in a battle, not in the bubble. And, you know, some believers will try to shield themselves from the world instead of being in it, not of it. They choose to just sort of survive being not in anything, like not in it at all. But in faith, we don't have a bubble that can protect us from the elements of the spiritual battle that we live in. And living in this spiritual battle, there is an enemy for you and I to face, a specific enemy that is after your joy. And so we see this in Galatians. Um, Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to start this morning. And coming down to the end, Paul sets it up this way in verse 16. This is what he says. He says, excuse me, let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of yourself. Everybody say self. Self. You'll abandon the cravings of your self-life. When your self, say self again, self. When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, intense cravings hinder your self life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are, everybody say it with me, self-life and the flesh of the new creation of the life of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the other one. And so Holy Spirit and our sinful nature, the, the, the flesh nature of humanity, they're in conflict. And so one of them is going to win out and you're going to be able to see why very obviously in and through our lives, which one has the upper hand. And it kind of paints this picture for us as we continue reading. They're in conflict with each other. So you sometimes, you know, do not do what you want to do, right? That's what Paul talks about. I'm not doing what I want to do. And so verse 18 says, but when you yield to the life of the spirit, Holy Spirit, you will no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. I love it. And then Paul describes the two differences, the behavior of the self. Everybody say self. The behavior of the self-life is obvious. And then he lists them all. But I'm not going to read them all. But I want you to notice in the middle, resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Then a V translation says jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. Now, some of uh, the others, you know, we know regular characters are mentioned in this list as well. The ones that we would expect, you know, the desires of the flesh are in control. Uh, but the ones that kind of sneak in, especially maybe the, the life of a believer are jealousy, resentment when other people are favored. Um, and selfish ambition, you know, when you're only thinking about yourself. These are in conflict with Holy Spirit. And Paul comes down in verse 22 and shows us what's going to happen when Holy Spirit is in control. Um, we've, been, we've been hitting these verses a lot in this series too, but the fruit that is produced by Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all of its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, greatness, gentleness of heart, Strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. As we keep on reading, I want us to put a little mark by verse 24, maybe circle it, maybe start, because you're going to have to come back to this, and I'm going to have to come back to this as we fight for joy. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our Self 
was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. In other words, the way we translate this into kind of everyday real language for us in this moment, our, our modern is if, if joy is gonna live in your life, or you could put any fruit of the spirit, if joy is gonna live in your life, something is gonna have to die in your life. If you're gonna be living a living fountain of this gratitude expressed in joy, then something has to die. And that something that has to die is what the Passion Translation calls the self-life of the flesh, the self, the sinful nature. The, it's all about me and us has to go away. And then in verse 25, it says, if the spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow the spirit to direct every aspect of our lives so we may never be arrogant. And those words seem to pack so much meaning into our culture right now. So we may never be arrogant or look down on another for each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. So at the end of the day, we've got to fight for joy. So I read this from a respected ministry friend on Friday morning when the news comes that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And this is what he said. And this is probably how every pastor kind of had this uh, feeling. <laughs> he said, this is what he said. He said, something tells me that there will be another record, another record broken, in other words, of people being unfriended and unfollowed today, followed by deeper and deeper polarization as a country. And, you know, in simpler terms, more division. And, and I know that several of us in this room have been praying for the, I, I, you know, this day for years. You know, life is precious. Life is a gift. But, it, you know, what, what, what ended up happening for me, you know, I, I really have this distaste in my mouth when any issue has been so condensed down into an us versus them. Because it's supposed to be us for them, Right? Everybody, love God, love people. Like it's either you're red or you're blue or your life or your choice and there's no in between or opportunity to even have a conversation because I'm gonna shut you down. You're either like this or you're wrong. And if you're wrong, then I'm putting my finger at you like a religious Pharisee that we were reading about last week and saying that you are what is wrong in this, with this world, <laughs> right? And many of us, if you're on the, especially if you're on the social media world, man, we saw some ugliness. I mean, Believers, non-believers alike, on both sides. I mean, it was ugly. And man, I pray God would help us, present company included, to hold space for others. Even when we disagree, right? And because if in your celebrating or in your hurt from a Supreme Court decision this week, we, the church, have turned away someone from Jesus or his church in the process, then I don't get it. And, and listen, I understand it's hard and it requires what? It requires dying to ourselves sometimes, which is obviously less than fun. But instead of being uh, the, the Pharisees and experts of the law, which includes a lot of finger pointing and mud hurling, let's be the fruit, right? Connected to the root and let it show, let it be evident in us. What's the first one again? Love, 
right? I mean, if we could go down the line, this is what we needed on social media this week, love, patience, <laughs> right? Kindness, goodness. How about for our neighbors who maybe, you know, didn't agree with us? Gentleness, self-control. It's like in, um, in France, when the, when the spring season has been brutally cold, this actually happened just in 2021, the winemakers had to fight for their grapes. Anybody remember seeing this in the headlines? Um, on any given night last year, it, it looked like this in the, in the graveyards, uh, the, the vines. Um, there were, I don't know if you can see it or not um, with the lighting in here, but the, there's frost on all the vines. And because of the cold temperatures and ice forming on the little sprigs of the vine, the winemakers, they, they were lighting these pots all through the vineyards. And, and for miles and miles, you'll see the, the fires burning like that. That's what, that's what the pictures look like. In fact, there were so many of them, they're trying to keep the, the, the vines warm that there were fires that actually broke out, which did more damage. But they were fighting for the fruit. They were contending for it, right? Whatever word you want to use. They were, they were doing it. I mean, that was a lot of work. That was a lot of tending, right? They were fighting for it. They're fighting for the crop that they want. And they know that they can't just sit back and do nothing or they will lose the battle. In fact, the article that I read stated that the frost in 2021 damaged 80% of France's vineyards. These guys were in the middle of it. They're fighting. They're, you know, they're stoking the fires, if you will, to fight for the fruit. And in the very same way, that's what God is inviting us to do today, saying, I want to invite you to stoke the fires for the fruit of joy, love, peace, patience, all those. And you can step into that process today. And we, we talked about how the key to the fruit of the spirit, this love and joy and peace, the outcome that we all want is connected to the root. All fruit is connected to the root who is Jesus. He is our source. In other words, we get the fruit from the root and the root is Jesus, right? I mean, even, even in the pictures that you see, uh, vineyards, I don't know if you can see it again, it's uh, being so far away, but you've got these, these poles and these pillars and in between each of them, you see those big, thick roots coming down. That's Jesus. That's the picture that he was painting. I am the vine. I am the root. You are the branches. I am the one with the source. The nutrients come through and I'll flow through the branches to you. I am the root. And so we focus on Jesus. We talked about this early on in the series so that we can get the fruit that is produced from that root, right? But in the very same way, if you're losing in this conflict, and joy isn't feeling like it's coming up. The root um, in your life isn't Jesus. The root is self. That's the passage that we're just reading here. And as the root, Jesus is making, moving through the vine. And, and we're in the middle. We're the middleman of the vine. We're the branches. As Jesus, via the Holy Spirit, is moving through the vine, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in the same way. I want you to see this this morning. If self is the root, it's also moving through the vine. And we obviously are the, the middleman in that case too. Self also produces fruit. And the main fruit that self produces related to joy is the fruit of an ungrateful spirit. So 
you've seen or heard the saying, comparison is the thief of joy, right? You've, you've heard that said before, probably. And, and that is almost accurate. Um, it's almost there. And we'll see how it's almost there in just a moment. But the real bullseye enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit rooted in self. And so the enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit rooted in self. If joy is gratitude rooted in grace, then the enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit that's rooted in self. And that ungrateful spirit rooted in self expresses itself in two major ways. So a lot of different ways, um, but we're going to highlight two major ways that we're going to look at today. There are two big ways that trap us in a cycle of an ungrateful heart. And the first one of those is this. I want us to look at this circle that's on our, our, our pages, our notes today. It's called the circle of self. And so this is when self is the root. And the first way that we see that it expresses itself, the E word blank on the top is entitlement, if you want to write that in. And entitlement, with a simple definition, is simply, it's, it's when we say this, the second blank underneath entitlement is I deserve it. I deserve this. I'm entitled to it. When your attitude is I deserve it, you are fostering an ungrateful spirit in your life. Because with everything that comes your way, you're just like, I, well, I deserve it. And, and, and if you don't get what you wanted, then you're going to envy and you're going to compare and you're going to complain until you do get what you want, right? And what you think you deserve. And that spirit snuffs out gratitude and ultimately steals away your joy. So when you hear it said, comparison is the thief of joy, that's true. But the reason why we compare is because we feel like we're entitled to more. And therefore, we're always evaluating how many chips are everybody else has in their stack, and we're figuring out how to get more than what somebody else has. And, and an entitled person is a person who may have tasted the fruit of joy uh, at some point, but it's spoiled in their heart. And um, this, so if you want to say it this way, they're spoiled. <laughs> but, but they think that they deserve everything they got, right? And we know we know what that kind of entitled spirit brings with it because um, we've experienced it probably. Uh, let, let me tell you a story. Again, you guys are all going to be uh, familiar with this story because we, it's right now, it's right in our face in our culture right now. My daughter, Michaela, has been working, she's serving a nursery this morning, has been working in the food industry this year and she's at Sonic right now just down the road, um, the one over here by Popeye's. And do you know what? It's not a surprise. She has experienced a lot of entitled people. come through those stalls in that drive through line. In fact, I hear, this is the sad part, and it's probably not surprising to too many of you, I hear a new story almost every time I pick her up from work. In our culture, we've even awarded a name for entitled people because it's so common and they've named, deemed them Karen, so I, you know, I'm sorry for you if your name is Karen, right? I mean, I've heard stories of shakes being thrown at the building, you know, orders being sent back five or six times because of the most inconsequential things. Um, employees getting yelled at and berated and in front of their kids who are also sitting in the vehicle watching their mom and dad lose their minds over a fast food restaurant order. And any goodness that this family might have experienced from a trip to the drive-thru to get some ice cream shakes was stolen by a spirit of an ungrateful heart, right? And so entitlement, this might be worth writing down, robs joy. 
Entitlement robs, steals us from joy, and, and our world is filled with it. There were 10 lepers. Go back to a story in scripture. There were 10 lepers who begged Jesus for healing. This story is in Luke 17. And he said, go show yourself to the priests, right? Remember this? And as they went, um, Luke tells us that they were healed. And so can you imagine, you're talking about a guy who maybe had lost the end of three of his fingers and now he has whole fingers again. Um, you know, a guy whose nose was barely there and he's got a nose again. A guy, you know, who had lost a third of his ear and maybe all of the other and he's got his ears again. A person whose toes now work now because they're fully grown back on. And as they're going, they're freaking out and they're realizing this is crazy. But one of them, he says, wait a minute, that guy named Jesus, he's responsible for all of this. I'm going back. And he turns around. He turns around and he goes to Jesus and he falls at his feet in worship and thanks him. And Jesus says, whoa, time out. You know, weren't, weren't, weren't there 10 of you? And didn't, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, didn't every one of them get healed? And the guy says, yeah, everybody got healed. They were like high-fiving. They had smiles on for the first time in a long time. It was exciting. There was like this joy that we haven't had. And Jesus said, well, where are they? Where are the other nine? Are you telling me that you're the only one person? And then he said this too. He said, and you being a Samaritan? Thought to come back and be grateful? Somehow entitlement can get to you so fast that you can go from begging for mercy in one breath to shouting over healing in the next and forgetting about showing gratitude in the next. And then you'll already have joy stolen from you. Entitlement says, I deserve it. And there are a lot of people who have, have not used those words in church, but they, they just somehow deep down figure out that God was you know, gonna help them anyway. Why? Because of course he was gonna heal me because look, I've, everything I've done in my life has been so excellent. Um, so surely God is gonna help me. But the other way this works out is a little bit tricky too. And the other side of the circle, that the, if, we're, if you're filling out and following along in your notes, that is self works itself out in shame. S word there is shame. And shame is an adversary to joy because this is what shame is going to say, is I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And we really, we really don't deserve God's grace, right? So th that's true. But what shame is going to say is when I hear about the grace of God, uh, I, I don't know if I could ever receive that. I, in other words, based on what I've done, what I've done or, or what's been done to me, that, that may work for everybody else, but I'm not going to be able to receive that goodness and forgiveness and that holiness and that, that righteousness in Jesus, that brand new life that he gives, that brand new identity. And I'm not going to be able to sit at that table. I'm not going to be able to receive that sonship or that daughtership, that place with God. I'm not going to be able to fully receive that because I don't deserve it. I just, and when we do that, what we're saying, in effect, is, 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 is almost the same as entitlement. We're saying my opinion about what I should get trumps God's opinion about what he wants to give me. Shameful people think it's humility working itself out when the, when the root word of it is self. We read it many times in that, that scripture that we, in Galatians 5, right? The root of self is Pride right? And people who are entitled and people who are living in shame, both sides of the coin, both have the same remedy. 
You, you would think that there would be one remedy for the entitled person and a different remedy for the shameful person, but they really have the same remedy. And the remedy for both of them is this. It's a revelation on the other circle, a revelation of grace and glory. It's a revelation of grace. It's, it's, it's the whole thing we've been talking about. It's like abiding in the root, right? His grace covers us. The entitled person is ungrateful because they think they deserve it. And the shameful person is ungrateful because they've never received it. They don't think they're worthy of it. And how can you be ungrateful for something that you haven't received? So both of them are ungrateful. And the answer for both of them is a revelation of Jesus' overwhelming grace and his glory. And then to understand, please catch this, to understand that I don't deserve anything but death. That's what I deserve. I, I, I know I've sinned, therefore that's what I deserve. So when I say I'm entitled, I'm, I am entitled, but you know what I'm entitled to? I'm entitled to death. Nobody's getting excited about that, right? <laughs> but that's the, that's the entitled sign. I am deserving, but I'm deserving of the wages of death uh, and, and, or the wages of sin, which is death. And when I see that gap and I know that I don't deserve anything but death, but then grace comes in and covers all of that. It comes into my life. And because of grace, I have a new life. When we see that, that is the result of a revelation of grace and glory. I don't deserve anything but death, but by grace, I now get a new life in Jesus. And so, in other words, the ultimate fruit is the grace that came, the life that came when Jesus came. Because Jesus is the root. He's the root. But at, this, at, at some point, the root became a human being. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And even as Isaiah had prophesied, he was gonna be like a tender shoot, remember that? And at some point he was gonna be cut off and he was gonna be offered for you so that the entitled person in us, the shameful person in us could see the gap and go, whoa, the one who Paul said uh, has the title above every title, the name above every other name gave himself for me. And the shameful person who says, I could never receive it, says the one who has the title above every title gave himself for me. And he was crushed for me. When people realize that there's something called new wine, new wine, entitlement goes out the window. It does. And people who've lived under shame all of their lives realize what's in the cup that was making them feel ashamed. So many people have heard the victory story, but they've never come to lift up the cup for themselves. If I had my A game on this weekend, I actually just, uh, uh, just admit how my morning went. I woke up about two hours later than I intended. <laughs> and uh, so it's a, it's a miracle that I'm here. <laughs> but... Uh, but um, I had this idea of, of bringing in some fresh grapes this morning, but obviously I didn't have time to, to drive to the grocery store this morning. I barely had time to drive here. <laughs> but I got here um, uh, this morning and I was thinking about, you know, Jesus was the one who was crushed for us. And we, we had communion this morning and we, we said thank you for his body broken and his blood poured out. But it's, I was thinking about those grapes. And how do you get the wine, right? You put pressure on them and you squeeze them. And Jesus 
was the one for us that was the new wine. And when we realize and we see the story of his crushed and broken and bruised body, his life poured out, and we realize that he is the new wine, we can hold up that cup over our lives. It's like a victor cup. It's like a, a winning cup, right? And, and so there's, we, we need, I was listening to a pastor tell a story this week, and he, he had been asked to be a, a youth speaker at a church for a series of nights. And when he arrived, um, his host said, you know, hey, I'm glad you're here. Our softball team is playing in the state men's softball championship this weekend. And so, yeah, and, um, and so we have a game tonight. And so, you know, we're going to have to have you cut a little short <laughs> so, we can do, so we can make the game. And so tomorrow we've got two games during the day. We keep on winning. I don't know how it's going to work out, because, you know, for tomorrow night session because then we've got a game, you know, the following night. For, so for Sunday we'll be fine, though, because, you know, it's all over Saturday night. And so the pastor was like, that's great. You know, do your thing. Go play. But they all wanted him to come along. You know, this is the speaker. They, they wanted him after the service to come along. And so he did. And, and they get there and the host is like, do you play? And then Pastor Deanna said, no, it actually wasn't Pastor Deanna. <laughs> it sounds like I'm talking about her, but she was actually playing in a tournament last night. Um, but Pastor, De- no. <laughs> but the, the pastor said, well, actually, yeah, I do. I, I play, I play, I'm playing on a team right now. And um, so, of course, the host heard that and they wanted to play with us. The more the merrier, uh, jump in. I have an extra jersey. And so the host loans the pastor a glove. He gets him, you know, a jersey and he's out there and he's warming up with the team. And, uh, and, and, you know, sitting on the bench, he's introducing himself to people. Hey, I'm the guest speaker and, you know, uh, good to meet you. I'm in town for the youth event. Um, good to meet you and 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 all you. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I'm just, I, he just insisted that I come and I play on the team. And so I'm here. And so Friday night, the team won, which was awesome. Friday night, the pastor didn't get to play Friday night, um, but they won. Came back Saturday uh, for the games there, the batting practice, he warmed up with the team, uh, the whole thing, and people were like, oh, the preacher guy's back. That's awesome. <laughs> they had a game uh, before lunch and a game after lunch. They won both games. The pastors uh, still hadn't been put on in the field. So it definitely isn't Deanna. <laughs> so the pastor's thinking, you know, no big deal. He's just, he was just enjoying being there. But now they are playing in the final game Saturday night. And in the final game, um, the championship game, it goes literally to the last inning, a tie in the double digits with a few runs, and the church team wins um, the Oklahoma men's softball championship without the pastor ever playing in the game. There's a rush out on the field. Everybody is jumping on top of each other. Big party is happening, you know, at home plate. Um, they give the trophy out. Everybody's holding it up. And the pastor is just kind of standing over there by the dugout. He's like, you know, he's cheering them on. Awesome. Yeah, but, I've, but him, like he's not running out in the field because he's thinking, well, I've, I've got, I've, I'm, I wore the jersey, but I've got nothing in this. You know, I'm happy for all of you. I'm celebrating for you. But he never rushed out on the field to hold the cup, Right. There was zero desire or need to go out and hold that thing over his head. Why? Because he didn't have anything in it. He got to cheer them on and, and experience the game, and he was, he was happy and got to celebrate. But here's the thing. Here's, the, here's what this story kind of brought me to as I was hearing that this week, and I was reading all these scriptures um, coming into this week. And we've, we've come into our places of worship so often, and we've sung the songs of victory, but for a lot of us, we still don't know what it that it was necessarily that, you know, you, you played in the game, but your shame was definitely in the game. You might not have been in the game, but the shame was in the game. And when Jesus took that cup 
in the garden, it was your cup. And when he said your will, not mine, it was your sin. And, and when he hung on that cross, it was your shame. And, and when he said it was finished, it is really finished. And so that you could maybe for the first time in your life, come and take that cup and hold it up, that new wine over your head and say, this is my cup. It's my cup. It's Jesus poured out for me. That's my forgiveness. That's my grace. That's my kindness. That's my love. That's my forgiveness. That's my brand new life. That's mine. It's mine. That's a brand new me. And so you're in the celebration circle. <laughs> I'm lifting up the cup of the new wine of the grace of God. And shame is done. Either way, whether you're in, uh, stuck in entitlement or you lift up the cup or ashamed and you lift up the cup, the revelation of grace and glory, it does the same thing in every person. And this is what it does. It produces grateful people. You might just want to write that around that circle right there. <laughs> grateful people. So instead of self at the center, now this revelation of grace and glory is in the center. And now going out in every direction is grateful people. And grateful people have joy. But you've got to stoke the fires, right? How do we do it? So I want to give you a few walkouts as we close. So they're all from the book of Philippians. I told you we're going to go to the book of Philippians. That's where all these come from. So number one, number one. Identify the things you're grateful for and give thanks. Man, it's just like so, so simple, right? Give thanks. This is, this is the letter that Paul wrote from prison. And he opened it, again, from prison. He opened it by saying, chapter one, verse three, my prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give him thanks for you with great joy. There's a connection between gratitude and joy, isn't there? Yes, there is. <laughs> there is a, 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 from scripture, it's all over scripture. Gratitude. I give him thanks. There is, there is something that happens in our lives when we give him thanks and praise. And so uh, for some of you, the takeaway is maybe to start up or restart something as simple as a gratitude journal. To take stock. There's, there's something that I've made a practice in my life for uh, probably since I was a teenager, is a youth pastor that taught me to wake up in the morning and give thanks. It's part of my prayer life. It's give thanks. Say, thank God for the things that he has done in your life. Take stock. Make sure that you are praising God. And you know, that, that's, that redirects your whole day, doesn't it? That, that redefines you know, how you respond to the God who has given you so much. Because we can get stuck in ourselves so often and our, all, of, all of our stuff. But when we start by thinking about how good he is, that, that kind of reshapes everything. So, you know, start up, restart. Maybe you're like me, you do everything digitally. Um, so, you know, maybe you start up a, a note on your phone or your laptop. And before you read the first email about what's going wrong at work, uh, or you see the first headline about what's going on in the world, or you get the first text about what did or what didn't happen in that circumstance um, and the outcome, you open up your gratitude journal. You open up your spirit even and just start giving thanks. And before the day even begins, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're saying back to God, you, we give them all back with the, songs, the song that we've been singing a thousand ways. You've given me a thousand ways 
to praise you. You are so good, so great. All the things that you've done for me, there's a million ways that I could say thank you. I just want you to start, write two or three of those things that you're grateful for and be grateful for today and give God thanks. (laughs) Make it a routine, make it part of your prayer life. I've been searching for happiness and joy a lot as I'm preparing for this series. And so, you know, I, I guess all the powers that be decided they knew what needed to be in my newsfeed. And so I ran across a post from the Huffington Post um, this week, a, a clickbait headline. And this is what it read. It said, five things that you should do first thing in the morning to be happier all day. And of course, people are clicking on that. And so I clicked on it because that, I was interested and so maybe, you know, I'll give it a go. Number one, this is the, I'm just going to read you the, the, the points real quick. Number one, pick a, pick a wellness cabinet and link it in with something that you already do. Number two, get your phone and throw it out the window. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> get your phone out of the bedroom. Number three, talk to yourself. In other words, like your self-talk is important. And we know, that, we know that's, that's true. Number four, and talk to somebody else. Have other people in your life that are going to be encouraging and building you up. And number five, incorporate gratitude. Now, now, this is, this, is, this is the opening paragraph after incorporate gratitude. This is what it said. I kid you not. While it's true that there is a huge range of habits that can help boost happiness, researchers and clinicians tend to return to one again and again because it's so powerful. Gratitude. It's true. It's true. And it isn't just Huffington Post saying this. I've run across um, links to some amazing studies. I've read from um, some universities and from doctors and psychologists and from all parts of the world. And they all say pretty much the same thing. Every article that I read leading up to this week, that gratitude produces happiness in the secular world. That that's their language just affirming God's law that gratitude produces joy. For some of you, I just feel like I want to say this. Don't start your day with what's wrong. Don't, you know, don't start your day with what, what's got to be fixed and what you don't like. That doesn't mean that you're ignoring, you know, the stuff that's happening in your life. You're not ignoring the world around you, but start the day with something or someone that you're grateful for. And after 30 days of starting your day with gratitude, everyone, almost every single article that I was reading this week kind of comes back to it, says that you'll see notable improvement of, in your state of, they call it happiness, I call it joy. <laughs> Number two, also coming from Paul, don't overask of people and things. In other words, enjoy the blessing, but don't put the root of your joy in the blessing. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I, I'm talking about your family members, your husband, your wife, your job, your, your stuff, the experience, all that's great. But as you're enjoying what God has blessed you with, make sure that you're enjoying it, not putting the root of your joy in it. In other words, don't depend on a person or a thing for your joy. That's, that's it's, it's putting the, the root in the wrong place, right? Paul says it this way in one of the most powerful passages that probably many of us me- had memorized at one point or another if you grow up in the church. This is what he says. My heart overflows with joy when I think of how you demonstrated love to me by your financial support of my ministry. Uh, We probably didn't memorize that part. But for even though you have so little, you still continue to help me at every opportunity. I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. Now listen to this. For I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. 
He says, my heart overflows with joy, for I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. How do you find that joy? Let's keep on reading. It says, I know what it means to lack. I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance, for I'm trained, listen, I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, and I, here it is, and I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. In other words, I'm not over asking of you to be my source. I have a root already and his name is Jesus. And it, the root of Jesus produces the fruit of joy in my life. So I'm gonna enjoy you because you are a gift in my life, but I'm not gonna put my root in you. I'm not gonna, you're not gonna be my source. How many of you know some people who have made a person their source? Yeah. It doesn't work. And I'm not gonna ask you to do what, you know, I'm not gonna ask you as a person to do what only Jesus can do. Because only Jesus can do that. He's, he's the only unchanging one. And so, because let me read it again. I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. I can, you, there's other translations that we're more familiar with. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's no one else, no, no thing else on this planet that I can say that about. He's my source. He's my root. Number three, and these are super simple. Number three, balance. And for some of you, that's gonna be key. Specifically, balance, joyless people in your life, if, if you have got a lot of those, with joyful people. <laughs> Paul says it this way, Philippians 2, verse two, talking about the kind of people we ought to be, the family that we ought to be. I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Another translation says, you will make my joy complete. Unbounded joy, I love it. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Remember the integration there. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of self. Process, or possess, sorry, a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And then let's skip down to verse 14. It says, live a cheerful life without complaining or division amongst yourselves for then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe. Can I just read that verse again? Because I think we need it, church. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division amongst yourself, for then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture, for you will appear among them as shining lights. You were meant to be bright. We talked about this in the light series. Anybody remember what I'm gonna say right now? Some of us are more concerned about being right than being a light. 
I think we've got that reversed. I think the big test is, I, I was actually having a conversation with Patricia, but I, she probably doesn't want to be pulled into this. I probably shouldn't have said her name. <laughs> but I was having a talk uh, with one of our pastors about this, and she said, I wonder if the, you know, the, just the biggest thing that we have for, for us on earth is that it's a big lesson about loving people, about love. I mean, the, the, the whole scripture is boiled down to love God and love people. And I just think, I mean, I think every pastor I've, I've talked to is like, uh, you know, every message, every, every Sunday, it feels like I'm saying the same thing, but man, we need to love people. That's what it comes down to. It's loving God, loving people. And, and, and so that verse, we're called to be a light. The Pharisees and the experts of law were more concerned about being right and they showed that pretty much every time they showed up on the scene. But man, it's, it's, it's the whole story of, you know, being excited to show the love of Jesus to everybody that we come. So what's he saying? He's saying, you've got to live in the world, right? You've got to be in every sphere. I want you to be a light in the darkness. I want you to be in the streets. I want you to be a voice in the darkness. And not a voice to point out what's wrong with everybody else. I want you to be a voice to lift my name up. Point to me. And I want you to live out in the world. And there's a loss of real joy out there. But you're going to be the joy that walks out there. Because I'm going with you and I'm your source. So you're going to be carrying joy with you. You're going to be carrying love with you. You're going to be carrying light with you because I am the light of the world. But then he turns around and he says, you are the light of the world. When you come back to your crew and to your inner circle, uh, to the people that you run with and you hang with, and if it's the people that you run and hang with are joyless people, they will steal your joy. If your crew is full of complainers at the end of the day, you're going to notice that your joy quotient is going to go down, right? How many of you experienced that? So you're going to want to replace some of those people, or, or maybe, maybe replace isn't the word, but balance some of those people that you've got in your squad. You know, I've got some joy killers in my group, so I need to add some joy bringers to my group. And I've got some firefighters of the wrong kind that are in my circle putting all the pots out between my vines, and that's not good. And so here I'm coming back trying to stoke the fires of joy. And every time they show up, man, it seems like they're just drowning out the light that's there. And so listen, that's not to say that anybody is better than anybody else. That no, that's not what I'm saying. It's just to say that some of you have three giant complainers that are in your circle, maybe your inner circle, and you're wondering why you don't have joy. And so you're going to need to balance. You need to do a little shuffling around of the crew and get some joy carriers in the mix and be a joy carrier in the mix. And if you are a joy carrier in the mix and you've got people who are always going to be pushing back on your joy, you're going, to, you're going to need to cause them to take a step or two, maybe to the side, still love them, still you know, be in the world, but not of it. But joy is a gift and it is a gift that you've got to fight for in your life and protect it, protect that fire. And so then the last thing is obvious, and, and, and we started this at the beginning of this whole journey, but I'm going to keep on saying it because it just probably needs to be said. Keep seeking Jesus. You have to make the root the priority. Prioritize your relationship with the root. You can't just say, I wish I had more fruit. I wish I had more joy. I wish I, I did. you know, you need to fight 
for joy. Well, fighting for joy, and all that really means is abiding in the root, right? And this is what Paul made clear. Paul had every reason to be entitled, but, but once he met Jesus, all of that went by the wayside, and he described all of his past, all of his upbringing, his family, all of his accomplishments, all of his position. But then he went, chapter 3, verse, verse 7, he said, Yet all of these accomplishments that I once took credit for, I now forsaken them, and I regard it as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap is like a pile of manure to me now so that I might be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus and embrace him as the Lord and all of his greatness. So the way that we stoke the fires of gratitude, and we're done, the main way that we stoke the fires of gratitude is we embrace and we stay connected to the author of grace. And there is no striving in that. It's just remaining. It's just abiding. But there is definitely a connection between generosity uh, and gratitude. And, and it's, it is the generosity of a king who would be crushed for us, for the, for the entitlement, for the enshamed, so that we would be brought from death to life and invited into a relationship with the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who himself is the beginning and the end. And he says, you can come to me. Joy is not out there somewhere. It's not. Joy is not a character trait that we're trying to work on. It's not. Joy is a person named Jesus. And the more you keep your eyes and your heart on him, the more time that you spend with him, the more that you're in the word learning about him and feeding on him, the more time you spend with him, the more time you are in his word and learning about him and feeding on that and, and hanging out with him and walking with him and talking with him and doing life with him, the more Jesus, the more joy. We just say that, the more Jesus, the more joy. Because joy equals what again? Everybody from Sunday school, remember, joy equals Jesus, others, and you. The coach even said it in the beginning of the video, right? And I know that's counter to the world because the world is going to tell you every second of the day that it all starts with you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And if there's space for somebody else, then maybe bring them along. And then maybe, if you've got extra time, maybe dip into the house of worship every once and again. But we live in an upside-down kingdom, don't we? With a king who gave it all. And he says, if you put me first, if you trust me, you're not going to come in last. And if you put me at the center, you're going to be filled with joy. Let's stand. Amen. Yes. God is good. <laughs> Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our source, that you are the vine um, to our branches, Lord. And so we, um, that's, that's all we want to do. That's all, all of this is about, all this conversation, this whole series is about just abiding and remaining in you. And so Lord, the fight, I don't even know if I like that language, Lord. It's, it's, it's the, the contending for, it's keeping the fire burning uh, of joy in our life. It's something that we got to tend the fields for. And so we got we to gotta, uh, keep, the, keep the vines hot so that they don't uh, die in the freezing storms that come. And Lord, so we're protectors of that in some, some uh, way, in some fashion. But Lord, all we come, it all comes back to just abiding in you and remaining in you. And there is no struggle in that. Lord, we, all we have to do is come to you. And so, Lord, when we do, you fill us up. 
You are the cup that overflows. You are the cup that we can raise up in our lives and say, you are my source. You are my, you're, you're, you've given me forgiveness, the Lord, of all the things that I've done. You're, you're the faith that burns inside of me. You're the love, the joy, the peace, the patience that grows up and shoots out and springs up from the ground. Lord, it all comes from you. And so, Lord, we remain in you. That's our prayer this morning. Amen. And Lord, um, for all of us, all the saints, just continue in praying. We want to give you an opportunity if you haven't said yes to Jesus or maybe even to resurrender this morning. Um, you're here this morning, and, and I believe that Holy Spirit will tug on your heart, and maybe you already know that you want to pray this prayer to say yes to, to, to following Jesus this morning. And there's nothing magical about a prayer, but it's just a, a start to saying yes to following Jesus on a journey, and he does have a journey for you. He has a purpose and a plan for you that's better than you can think or imagine. And so if that is you this morning, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, um, we just want to pray with you, and we're all going to pray this prayer to together this morning. Um, let's pray this. Father God, I give you my heart, all that I am. I want to abide with you and I want to remain with you. I want to follow in your steps everything that I do. Thank you for your body broken. Thank you for dying on a cross for coming to be my rescue. No matter what I face, you are my firm foundation. And on you I stand. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.